We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The CV, CV Report. TPS report. The CV report. Give us one word to describe what you're going through right now. Sucky. <laughs> Sucky. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's just a Nissan Frontier, but in my mind, this thing's an M1 Abrams tank. Honey, take the wheel. I'm going to stick my head out of the sunroof. Look, any self-respecting veteran should grow a beard and have a belly. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Like, if we're going to start getting angry now, it's it's a little late is live in D.C. with the update on all of this. Good morning. Maybe. I guess not. The C.V. Report. Welcome to the C.V. Report. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And today we're going to take a special look at the issues affecting women in the military and in the veteran community. But before we meet our guest, let's look at the history of women in the military. Now you don't have to look back very far because prior to World War I, women were only nurses, laundresses, and administrative assistants. It wasn't until 1917 that women were officially permitted to join the military during the last two years of World War I. 33,000 women joined as nurses and support staff. From 1941 to 45, 400,000 women served at home and abroad in non-combat roles. In 1948, Congress passed the Armed Integration Act, entitling women to veterans' benefits. And it wasn't until 1976 that the first women were admitted to U.S. military service academies. Almost two decades later, the Congress authorized women to serve on combat ships and to fly fighter jets. I was there and actually witnessed that one firsthand. As a plank owner on an aircraft carrier, I was part of the Navy's first co-ed carrier, which was commissioned in 1995. Two decades later, Defense Secretary Leon Panetta announced that all positions will be open to women by 2016. One of my priorities as the Secretary of Defense has been to remove as many barriers as possible for talented and qualified people to be able to serve this country in uniform. That position was again reaffirmed in 2015 when then Defense Secretary Ash Carter said that all women will be permitted to apply for combat positions beginning January 1st, 2016. They'll be allowed to drive tanks, fire mortars, and lead infantry soldiers into combat. They'll be able to serve as Army Rangers and Green Berets, Navy SEALs, Marine Corps Infantry, Air Force Parajumpers, and everything else that was previously open only to men. Now, that was all just over three years ago. So how's it been going since then? Has there been enough progress? We recently spoke with former retired U.S. Army Colonel Dr. Ellen Herring. Dr. Herring is the Director of Programs and Research at the Service Women's Action Network. She is also a senior fellow at Women's International Security, where she directs the Combat Integration Initiative Project. Her research and work focuses on women and gender in the military. Dr. Herring is a West Point graduate, 
retired Army colonel and an adjunct associate professor at Georgetown University. She's published numerous articles and papers on military topics and has appeared on national television as an expert on military and gender issues. When I spoke with Dr. Herring, she had just finished speaking with the New York Times. And from the first minute our phone call started, I learned a surprising and shocking statistic. Looking at the suicide rates for service women, they're terrible. They're 250% times higher than civilian women. Now that right there stopped me in my tracks. The suicide rate is 250 times higher than their women's civilian counterparts. I wanted to know, what was the cause? I think it stems from harassment and assault that they've, they've experienced while on um, active duty. Um, we know by DOD's own data that one in four military women will be sexually assaulted during her military service. So that means that women veterans, there are two million women veterans out there, and of that two million, if one-fourth have been sexually assaulted, that's half a million women veterans who are dealing with uh, an assault that they sustained while they were on active duty. Then you've got what they consider to be a moral injury because you were betrayed by the very people you thought you could trust. And then you're further oftentimes people who report are then retaliated against and they're betrayed by the system that they thought they could trust. Now, considering the scale of this issue affecting both female active duty and those who are now veterans, I wondered what is being done to combat this alarming trend? There have been two approaches. One has been the way we um, hold perpetrators accountable um, but then others, like our organization, said it's not just about punishing people after they've committed a crime. It's what's going on with our cult- culture that allows this to happen at such a high level. So those of us in the military, or I should say those of us in support organizations like SWAN, have gone after culture. Um, and the way we go after culture is by, well, first of all, calling attention to problematic behavior. But we've also said that as long as women remain kind of a marginalized um, group population within the military and are not allowed to even access many of the most highly valued occupations, and they will continue to be kind of a disrespected second-class population group. So that's why SWAN in 2012, we filed a lawsuit against the combat exclusion policy. Shortly after we filed the lawsuit, the Secretary of Defense um, lifted the policy, um, but it took them three years to actually fully lift the policy and allow begin to allow women to start serving in these previously excluded occupations, which are also the most highly valued um, and the most respected occupations of infantry and armored special operations Uh, But our lawsuit has remained open for the intervening five years um, because despite the fact that supposedly everything is open, we still don't see women in many of the occupations um, that the most highly valued, like special operations, Mm -hmm. Navy SEALs. Um, We've had now 25 women qualified as Rangers, but only two are in the Ranger Regiment, that kind of thing. So we're continuing to press on to try to change this whole Um, notion of what women are capable of doing and are women, you know, heroic and valued in the same way that men are. And and we hope that as, you know, we kind of change the culture relative to how we see women, that you'll see less and less harassment and assault. At least that's our hope. So it's been three years since the DOD stated that women were eligible for all jobs in the military. So have women integrated far enough into special operations? And what exactly is the goal? Should SEAL teams and Green Berets have 20% women, 30% women? We asked Dr. Herring. I don't think special operations community has even gone after goals. I don't think they've done targeted recruitment to try to find the types 
of women that might qualify. So there's that. But in terms of what it looks like, I would love to see um, women integrated into in in decent numbers, not not um, tokens, you know, not one or two and say, oh, yeah, we've got one, therefore we are open, but um, percentages that, that reflect what's, what the capabilities are. So I suspect that, of course, these are really tough jobs and they're very physically demanding and, and women are disadvantaged by size and muscle structure relative to the average man. However, there are women who meet the qualifications um, and exceed many men and can do these jobs. Um, from a physical aspect, but we aren't looking for them. Well, I don't think the special operations community is actively recruiting them. I'm not sure that they even really want them. Um, but what I would like to see is a percentage, maybe 20 um, someday of, of the special operations community um, being composed of women. There would be huge value added in terms of the diversity of the teams, the operational capabilities that they're then able to leverage by having women on their teams. Dr. Herring makes a valid point, but I wondered about women that I've read about, like Emily Miller, one of Dr. Herring's fellow board members on the Service Women's Action Network. While she's known more recently as the co-founder of Rumi Spice, a company that imports saffron directly from Afghan farmers, she was once featured on the TV show Shark Tank, where she received a capital investment to expand. Prior to her business ventures, Emily served as a captain in the U.S. Army and she led an engineer platoon in Iraq and served on two deployments to Afghanistan with the 75th Ranger Regiment as a cultural support team member. We asked Dr. Herring if her example proved that women are integrating enough into the elite ranks of special operations. Only for a very small portion of their mission, and that was to interact with local women. You know, she didn't, she wasn't fully, or she and the cultural support teams um, in general, weren't utilized for every mission. They were only utilized on specific missions and only when it was to interact with women. Um, so I got a problem with that. That's a very gendered um, way to use women when there were many, many other ways that they could have used them. And in fact, some of the women from the teams that we interviewed said they, in many instances, they interacted with male Afghans in ways that men couldn't interact with male Afghans when they were allowed to. So the question I was wrestling with is... Is it even possible? I mean, given today's culture in the military, is it possible at all for 20% of special operations positions to be filled by women? I would love to see that. I don't know whether um, we have that many women that could qualify, but I think that if the special operations community made a concerted effort to, to find them and to recruit them, we could certainly see at least some women in versus what's now. And right now... So let me backtrack a little. There are women in the special operations community, and they are considered operators, but they are considered operators in support roles. So, for instance, um, EOD operators, um, women who are, you know, dog handlers are considered in, inside the operations operator community, but they aren't the Navy. They don't carry a Navy SEAL or um, only, like I said, only two women are in the 75th Ranger Regiment. Right. Um, so they haven't gone through the same training as the, um, I don't know what you call the basic special operations or in the Army, it's the 18 series, um, and they're not considered special forces. They're just considered operators within the special operations community. Realizing that that's still not equal, I wondered if she knew of women who were actually stopped from applying for elite special ops programs. No, I don't know at all how many. I know that there have been a few that have started the process, 
For example, if you're at the Naval Academy, um, where they draw many Navy SEALs from, um, there's been a couple that have expressed interest, and they've started in the pipeline, and then they've dropped out. And they've dropped out because they have been completely unwelcome there, or they've dropped out because they've decided this isn't really something I want to do. Um, but that's one place that I would think that the, the, the SEAL community would be recruiting. Right. Um, you know, women at the Naval Academy who are athletes, clearly intelligent, um, would be a, a source pool for Navy SEALs, and yet you're not seeing them come out of there. At this point in the interview, there was part of me that still wanted to know why. Why we have not seen a female Navy SEAL. But I realized that I lacked the experience. I guess I see it differently, too, because I wasn't. I was in the Navy, so I'm a Navy veteran. I mm-hmm. didn't see a huge inequality, per se, on the ship as far as operational roles or, you know, the MOSs. Because right. there were plenty. I mean, there were women fighter pilots. There were women commanders. There were women, you know, in, in charge of departments of the whole carrier. So I... I sure. But then again, I didn't work with a lot of SEALs either. You know, <laughs> There wasn't a special ops on an aircraft carrier. I mean, If you joined the Navy 20 years earlier, you wouldn't have seen women in many of those places. That's been a, a, a fairly, re- especially in combat um, aircraft. So that only opened up in 1994. And the first women who began flying on Navy ships, you know, uh, carrier landing, were, was at, subsequent, to, was the late 90s, mm-hmm. mid to late 90s. So depending upon when you served, you may or may not have seen um women in those roles. Um, so, and this is the, kind of the last frontier for women in the ground combat forces. And so we're, we're seeing them slowly integrating. They started in 2017. Um, actually, the 20, summer of 2016 was the women officers, and then it was followed by enlisted women in the spring of 2017. So, you know, it takes a while to grow, <laughs> you know, captains, majors, lieutenant colonels, um, but we have our first women the captains in the infantry now, um, and they are commanding infantry companies. But it's a slow process. Now, combat integration isn't the only thing that SWAN is focused on. We asked Dr. Herring about their recent work on Capitol Hill and the other causes that they're fighting for. Yeah, so um, last month we were on Capitol Hill. Um, We spent about three days visiting over 30 offices um, delivering our reproductive health care report. Um, that report is based on a year of research that we conducted last year um, in 2018, early 2018, and then we published a report in 20, late 2018, and then we're on the Hill with it this year in 2019. Um, <clears throat> some of the principal findings from that report, which we were trying to educate uh, law and policymakers on, was a startling finding, which was the rates of infertility of military women and women veterans, which is almost three times higher than civilian women. So we were educating members of Congress about the rates of infertility. We were asking for additional research to determine whether or not our findings are, in fact, valid findings. And then if they are valid findings, what in the world is going on that's causing high infertility rates? One of the interesting things, additional things we learned in the course of talking about this research was the number of men that approached us and said, well, I'm actually the one that's infertile in our relationship. And so what we've asked um, Congress to include in this year's NDAA is a a broad um, report that looks at both men and women infertility um, to try to determine if, in fact, there there are high rates and, and what are they due to. Um, so that's been our push in the, during the last month. 
and why we spent those days on the Hill and met with so many congressional leaders. And taking a peek behind the curtain, how exactly does this look right now? Is this in the form of a lawsuit or is this just meetings with legislators no. on the Hill? Yeah. So this is really about um, getting language into the NDAA that requires um, a study or research. That's all we're asking for at this point. Um, now, if this research were to uncover, you know, it's really what is the research going to uncover for us? And then that would that would govern next steps. But I'm sure if the research uncovers something significant, DOD will respond to it, um, hopefully in the right ways. But if they don't, that's when we would, you know, we might leverage um, legal avenues. But legal avenues are a last resort. And I guess we could just kind of wind it down there by saying, how do I learn more? And tell me about, uh, you know, the website. Uh, is there any feature on it you're especially proud of or a program going on now uh, that we should know about? So we do have an event coming up in March, March 13th. We'll be on the Hill again, but this time um, in a larger forum. We're being sponsored by Senator, Jill, or, I'm sorry, not Gillibrand, um, Senator Blumenthal. Um, we're going to be doing an update on combat integration as well as an update on our lawsuit. And we'll be publishing our uh, annual booklet. Actually, this will be the 10th edition of the Women in the Military Where, Where They Stand um, booklet. It's about a 45-page book that gives an update on numbers and um, the evolution of women in the military. Very good. And that's what we're trying to do is connect it back to the veterans and the women out there that you represent. Thank you for everything you do. Ellen Herring with the Service Women's Action Network. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of the CV Report. You can read more about our ongoing coverage of women's issues and a salute to women in the military all throughout the month of March by going to ConnectingVets.com. You can find other episodes of this podcast by downloading the Radio.com app. There you'll unlock a ton of on-demand content, including other radio stations from around the country and other incredible podcasts. You can also find our other podcast called Vet Story. And of course, both the CV Report and Vet Story are available everywhere you find podcasts. Do me a favor, and while you're there, click like and subscribe so we can notify you every time a new podcast drops. In the meantime, I'll be looking for more issues to cover and more stories to tell on the next episode of The CV Report. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.